Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Mallory Scugan, co-founder and board member of Happy Pet Project, whose mission is to partner with local municipal shelters to end the overpopulation of companion animals in Texas through rescue, rehabilitation, and adoption, while educating people about responsible pet ownership, animal advocacy, and topics related to animal welfare. What this incredible organization has been able to accomplish in the small amount of time they've had since their launch speaks to the big things that they are going to do in the future. That's why we were so honored to have Mallory on to talk about the importance of communication, transparency, and keeping positivity as a driving force in rescue. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hey there, Mallory. How are you? I'm really good. How are y'all? Really wonderful. So delightful to have you back and talking about something, well, not totally different, but something a little bit different from what we had you on when we first started the podcast. That's pretty exciting that we're having people moving and evolving and growing even into different organizations from where they were, whatever, two years ago. Yeah. (laughs) That's the last time I saw you guys. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And I'm excited to see the podcast grow, see that that you two are here rocking things. Pretty awesome. You're doing a great job. Let's talk about the Happy Pet Project. So before you get into what the Happy Pet Project is, how did you come to be involved with it? So we have this organizational structure that we're really big geeks for. So many people involved in animal rescue get overwhelmed. Actually, it's not, it's not specific to animal rescue, right? There's so many good causes in the world. It's easy to get what I've heard called compassion fatigue or burnout is like another way to say it. So we started talking about, especially through COVID, what would it look like if we started an organization together where we were using really good communication, this organizational structure that we had kind of worked inside of together to start saving all breeds of dogs and hopefully other pets, right? That's why we called ourselves the Happy Pet Project because we'd love to make a difference for cats and pigs and chickens. So the kind of really geeky thing that brought us together is that we have this structure where we have you know, a team of managing directors that report to an executive director. And then the three of us, Ashton and Megan and I are working board members supporting all of our teams. Now our managing directors support different divisions that include operations and development, innovative programs, and HR more or less. We're working on a better name for that kind of volunteer engagement and support. It's really hard work remaining committed to saving animals because it can be really sad and it can be really stressful and it can be unpredictable, right? To say the least. So 
we're committed to this sort of structure so that everyone takes on like a little piece of the pie, right? We have like a team that works on intaking animals, a team that does our social media, a team that vets adoption applicants. And we're striving to grow our programs where we can assist community members. So maybe they can't afford to keep a vet. So how can we get involved to keep that pet in their home? Or maybe they just aren't educated on responsible pet ownership. Working on getting young people involved in a really healthy, happy way. We want to make sure that it feels good to be involved in animal rescue, you know, because it's just easy for it to get hard and stressful. That is an understatement for sure. What you're addressing, I think, is something that we've seen with so many different organizations. And then it's something that we've felt as an organization. Yeah, we're not the ones taking in animals, but we're feeling a lot of the pains and crying with our rescues a lot of the days. And it's taxing. It's really hard. It would be really hard if it was just that alone. But then dealing with people coming at you on social media or all the other things that come along with just running a small business. So I think that's such an amazing thing. I know you just had a conversation with Trap King. He like, is this former rapper who went into cat rescue. He's amazing. And he's like so pumped. That was one of his main points. He was telling me, we have to fix the fixers, like people who are going out there helping animals. We need to help them because it should be so empowering to go out there and work with these animals and to volunteer for these organizations. And so often it's filled with like a level of guilt, just so much loss, of course, and just negative feelings. That's well said. Yeah. So things that we focus on are, you know, what is the flow of communication through our organization? How are our managing directors supporting our directors that are in turn leading their coordinators that make up their teams, right? And we try to lead by example that all of us deserve to have work-life balance, air quotes, because not a single one of us takes a penny for this. We're all totally just volunteering out of the goodness of our hearts. We take a lot of time to put our standard operating procedures into writing. So we can all refer back to that note and stay the course so we don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. We're all people with families and jobs, you know, so a situation arises and it's like, how did we decide the best way to handle this? And so we're really big nerds about putting things in writing. And we feel like that's an important way to respect everybody's time and energy and to keep things moving forward. You know, we're not perfect. It's also a work in progress all of the time, but these are things that we value at the happypetproject.org. We've outlined like our values, our culture, our mission statement, our DEI statement. We really want to put the people at the forefront because that's how we can keep saving animals. And going back, you said that this was something that you had in place and then you just moved it to like an all breed ethos. Is that right? This organizational structure is something that one of my mentors in rescue helped me put together with a whole team of people. And it's something we've perfected over time. And a group of us decided that through COVID, we could be making a bigger impact probably to help all breeds, all animal types. And we were excited. We still are excited. Why am I talking in the past tense? <laughs> really excited to be bringing a huge emphasis 
to ethics and transparency. We've learned so much about accounting, the business side of things. I could go on and on about the numbers, but we are committed to sharing every single penny, what category everything goes into so that our volunteers that are internal and our donors that just kind of see our updates on social media, like if you come to us and want to know where your dollars are going, we've got pie charts for you. We've got bar graphs. We've got it all accounted for down to the penny. So these are the kinds of things that are our top priorities because we feel like there are a lot of amazing deserving rescues out there. What sets us apart? Why should somebody donate their $5 to the Happy Pet Project? Because we're extremely transparent because we're taking the time to build this trust with our donor base as it grows. I love that concept, but I really do love what you were mentioning before about how you kind of set up that almost like a handbook. It has to make bringing people into the organization and probably even making people want to come into your organization so easy. Because I feel like I've heard it so many times where people will get involved in rescue or shelter work and they'll go to somebody who maybe they're higher up and they'll say, hey, how do I do this? And that person will tell them something. And then another person's like, no, that's not how it does it. And there's so much, I feel like roadblocks almost. People don't communicate with each other within the rescue. So I really love the idea that you guys are are geeking out and have that written because I feel like that probably saves so much time. It probably keeps so much confusion from happening. And it, even if I were new and coming into the Happy Pet Project, I am not confused about how things run because it's right there always. I hope so. I like <laughs> to think that. And I, and I have to imagine that one of our newest volunteers will probably listen into the podcast and be assessing this. <laughs> so, you know, ping me if you have any feedback, if you're listening. No, but um, you just said it so well. That's exactly our hope. So we spend time on what we call onboarding guides for each of our teams. And we are so new. So we maybe I should have started there. We just got started in January of this year. We were approved by the IRS starting in 2021, but there's just so many ducks to get in a row, right? And we, gosh, I want to say they approved us in December sometime and they like approve you retroactively. So our start date was like sometime last summer. We got everything ready to go. You need a bank account and you need a certain kind of bank account and you need, you know, (laughs) anyway. But we finally got to save our first pet ever on January 22nd. We actually saved two. So that was amazing from one of our favorite area shelters in Fort Worth, Texas. So we're like a fledgling organization, right? We're kind of a baby rescue, but we've already saved 45 animals and adopted out 25 with like eight more adoptions in the works. We just have to spay and neuter our really adorable, fluffy litter of puppies and several or the majority of those guys are already have their, their families lined up. They're ready to be adopted. So it's a work in progress, but we spend time on onboarding guides for our teams and standard operating procedures. Just maybe two days ago, one of our managing directors is like, you know, I'm looking at our process for how we administer heartworm prevention every month. What do you think would be more efficient? You know, we have like a process for the process. It's like, okay, well, if we should review this SOP, you know, put it in the log. We're going to sit down and look at it. So I know we're not perfect. Oh my gosh, we're all human. And I know that bless all of our volunteers that are so hardworking and they're like, Mallory, you owe me an answer on this on XYZ. 
but we try our darndest. That is truly top priority that the people that come and give of their time and their energy out of the goodness of their hearts to save animals with us, I want them to feel like it's worth it, like our processes are efficient and that they're not just spinning their wheels and could be giving all this to be saving more animals somewhere else. We just nerd out over the details. That's what we are passionate about. It's like, what can we do to save animals and treat our people the best that we can? Well, and it sounds like what you're putting into place too is the kind of thing that is lining you up so that you can go the distance for years and years and you aren't going to be burning people out as much. That's the hope, fingers crossed. And also there's a term founder syndrome where everything comes down to one person who founded the organization and it falls on them and they need to do everything. And that's the opposite of an organization that's going to last because if that founder gets burnt out, then the whole organization is gone, right? And they're not really empowering teammates to be leaders in their own departments and things like that. I don't think I've heard that before, but that makes sense to me. And I definitely have empathy for anybody that experiences that because it is hard work at every level of leadership. But one of my biggest mentors in rescue once told me, if I can teach you what you need to know, the skills that I could give you to then pass those skills on to like the next generation or, or team of people, that's my biggest goal, right? Like that's what it's about more than like how many animals can I personally save? It's about like inspiring the next person. I'm such a cheese ball, I know, but <laughs> that really speaks to me. And I hope that no matter how long, like I'm a leader in an animal rescue organization, I hope that rather than acting like I'm irreplaceable or, oh, I'm a co-founder, like, no, my idea, my true belief, it's about all these people. Like if everybody gives a tiny bit, we can make a huge impact together, right? Like we cannot do it without every single member of our team. And I want every person that, let's say, reports to me within our team, I want them to get to a point where they're like, yeah, shh, I can replace you. I know everything. I know everything you do. I know how you think. I know how you work, whatever. Like, yeah, I want to make myself unnecessary because everybody is pumped to do all the tasks or whatever that I do in a day. So I feel that we have attracted tens of people that also think that way, which is why such a cool group of people, nobody in the organization is feeling like, well, without me, you know, I would say that that probably helps with the work-life balance too, because I think that's where a lot of people struggle. You know, if if I'm not going to do it, it's not going to get done right. Or if I'm not doing it, I'm going to feel guilty, this sort of thing. But if you have people that you trust, that you rely on, that you trained, I love what you said, almost make yourself an unnecessary component to where if I stepped back, things are still going to work the way they're supposed to be working. Because I feel like that's what's going to allow you to live a life and do what you love at the same time. Yeah. And like, I don't even want to take credit for that. Like I said, a mentor kind of spoke that into my brain years ago and I love it. And unfortunately, probably every member of our organization has had a day where they're like, I did too many hours on this or oh, it's not going to get done the way I want it if I don't do it myself. But we have like our weekly team calls and it's something that we try to bring up regularly. 
that this is the goal, you know, and we're always recruiting, trying to get new folks on our team so that we can spread the love and, and share the load that is animal rescue. So that's the goal. That's what I'll say. This has to have come out of a place that you saw a lot of people getting burnt out or you're feeling it yourself, right? Is that something that you've experienced? I know for us, we see a lot of our audience, like compassion fatigue, where like, if you show them the hardness (laughs) too much, it's like, I need to find some joy, please. (laughs) I need a break from all of this. (laughs) Right. Like when you're fundraising, you have to sort of look for the balance between showing them these really harsh stories and photos and then saying, well, look, look what we've done. You know, look at this cute, fuzzy puppy or something. So I definitely wouldn't say it was burnout that led me to co-found Happy Pet. I just think that we all came from different areas, had different mentors, different leaders over time. And something that spoke to the three of us was transparency, respecting the process, the flow of communication. And so we felt like it was worth it to give it a shot. None of us had founded an animal rescue before. We thought, let's do this. Let's build it from the ground up with these values right at the center. And I think we've done a great job. You know, the reason I say that is because the amazing people that have joined the organization, that tells me that we've done a good job because the values are speaking to the right people. And I don't know, only time will tell, right? Yeah. I love what you're saying though, because it really speaks to like building a community that you want and need. And I think this is something that we've seen from our end too. When you see this void and you're like, this is what I really want and need. And I'm going to make this space and really like define what it is. And in your head, you almost are like, and if it's just the three of us... Yeah, that's okay too. But sometimes when you just do that and define it and set that space and be like, and we're here if anyone's interested in this, it's amazing how many people are like, oh, thank goodness. This is what I've been looking for for so long. That's so nice the way you put that. And yeah, maybe, maybe that is sort of what's played out. I love that version of events. (laughs) Well, because I think, especially in today's world, there are lots of, well, this is what you need to do and say in order to be successful. And I think a lot of people are like, well, that's kind of how I feel, but maybe not a hundred percent, or I've got to do this on social media in order for people to like me. (laughs) And I think that's not the case. I think you can be yourself and trust the world. Like, Hey, if you are feeling a specific way and you want to build a space that really identifies with what your missions are, there are going to be people that are going to align with that. That's really my compass is to try to just be who I really am. And then if our mission and our values speak to those people, like you said, then they'll find us. It's a challenge to be such a new organization and to try to grow your audience. But we have found the people that we have found are just incredible. Our volunteer community is somewhere around 70 people already in a few short months. So All I can do is just gush about all of those folks. I have only good things to say. I was wondering, because I was looking into your guys' website, and I I did see that you guys have some connection to what's called the the Texas Good Deeds Program. And I was wondering if you could explain that. 
Oh, I'm so glad you said that. So when Megan and Ashton and I filed with the IRS, we registered as Texas Good Deeds Project. Two of us have had our first children over the last couple of years. And we talked about what type of organization, nonprofit are we interested in getting into? Well, all of our experience lied within dog rescue, but things evolve, people's lives change. We wanted to kind of leave some space for other initiatives. So this is totally off the record and unofficial, but we have this idea that right now, you know, Texas Good Deeds Project has the Happy Pet Project. We have what's called a DBA, a doing business as. So that's our official name and we're an animal rescue. But what we've done is just sort of leave the door open in the future if we want to do maybe environmental initiatives or human-oriented initiatives. We just want to kind of leave that door open. And just to clarify, that's off the record, but on the record, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Sorry. I love that. Yes. So Texas Good Deeds Project is like our umbrella organization. And that's why you'll see both reflected on our website at thehappypetproject.org. We have separate mission statements, but our culture and value sort of pillars are all the same. And you'll see in our mission statement that we actually talk about, you know, community and partnering with others in our community. There are so many awesome rescue organizations in Texas and outside of Texas. Some do one breed, some do all, some do just medical cases, some do just behavioral cases. So I feel strongly that there is room, there's a need for every single organization. We've been fortunate that we've already partnered with some amazing groups since January, and we hope to get to know even more wonderful organizations that are going about this in a really responsible way. I know you're based in Texas, and honestly, I mean, we've seen the great need for people and pets in Texas. So I'm wondering, is there a reason... Were you all just located in Texas and you saw the need and wanted to really hone in on your your local area? Or are there specific things in Texas that you're touching on? Definitely the biggest factor is that we're all located here in North Texas. That's not to say that we wouldn't be interested in expanding. You know, there are groups that do really awesome transport programs. We've hoped that eventually we'll be ready to look into that type of thing. Our biggest passion, I mean, there's just way too many animals in need. It's so overwhelming here in our immediate area. The other thing is that I think some rescues in Texas and probably everywhere create a lot of barriers for people that want to get involved. There are a lot of pets in Texas, but there are a lot of people in Texas too. And transplants, you know, coming into this area all the time that want to adopt from a rescue organization. I can't tell you how often I hear somebody say, you know, I tried, I applied and I applied, or I sent a DM and they wouldn't get back to me. Or I made sort of a new friend and she is a mother to three children and owns three healthy, happy dogs. She shared with me that trying to adopt her third dog took months because rescues were telling her, Sorry, you have a chain link fence. You can't adopt. Sorry, you don't have enough square feet in your house for a third dog. Meanwhile, this woman has a heart of gold. She works so hard. Like I met her through work, so I can speak to that. And she sends and posts photos of her three dogs. Like they're 
on the couch. They're spoiled. They're, they're so loved and she raises them so well. It's like, there's no room for that. There are too many animals in need. So we definitely keep that the forefront of our minds that we want to change that attitude that members of the public that aren't quote unquote in rescue, you know, they're not on the inside or they don't maybe know exactly what the shelter environment, the rescue environment look like, you know, it shouldn't feel clicky. Like if somebody has the bandwidth and the desire to help, we want you. There's a spot on our team for you to volunteer, whether you live in Texas or live in another country, you can join us remotely. Whether you can afford to donate $2 or $200, that's going to make an impact. It all genuinely adds up and we can show you exactly where every one of your $2 goes. And we want people that want to adopt and want to foster to be able to, because most of the time, for whatever reason that another organization has told someone no, I have found that if you sit down and take the time to just educate them on that topic, people come around. People are willing to adjust their habits, their lifestyle, care for their dogs a little bit differently. They just need that human interaction and understanding and empathy. So that's something that I hope to see a shift in. I don't want to say that that's specific to Texas because that's not really fair. I don't have experience in other places. I love that though. The idea that it's not the size of the house, it's the will of the owner. I had my third dog in my studio apartment and I I swear that dog has a better life than me. We run together, we get out, they get fed well. Like, of course we've moved and obviously we have a bigger area now, but initially when I had them, I was in a tiny space, but I love, I I loved my dogs. There was no doubt that those dogs weren't going to have a good life just because we were in a small area. My partner and I started out in a studio apartment. I think it was 600 square feet. We had a hundred pound, oh, a 60 pound American Pitbull Terrier. And so I carry that with me still. Like mm-hmm. dog owners and apartments are extra committed to taking long walks and mental stimulation for their dogs and all this. So like you almost need it too, like just for yourself. Like you sit in that studio apartment and you're like, oh my God, the walls are you have to get out. Might as well take a dog with me and and have fun. Right. I just think that there's something for everyone. You have a crowd of dog owners that might shame the other person for not taking their dog on enough walks. And it's like, well guess what? There are plenty of leash reactive dogs that could just use a large property that don't ever want to go sit on a patio or take a long walk in an urban area. Or just a nice senior guy that's like, listen, I'm looking for a spot. I'm looking for a <laughs> I'm nap like, that spot. That was JJ. Yeah. A spot. Yes. That's funny. Yeah. We have a couple of dogs like that. Quick shameless plug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have like, Those are my favorite. I'm terrible. I should have counted. I think we're at 20 or 22 dogs in our custody right now. And we have seven or eight of those are technically seniors. We have some of the most precious senior animals in our care. So if anyone listening is looking for a senior dog. I'm wondering, do you adopt foster primarily in Texas or is it other states as well? We'll adopt out to anybody in the United States. We ask that the adopter either travel to North Texas, look up the animal, or they can secure, you know, transport service as long as they're insured and bonded, you know, we'll kind of help support the applicant to make sure that they found a trusted transport service. Yes. Happy to do that. That's a part of, you know, trying to remove some barriers and that's something I think if anyone listening 
is involved in rescue and is kind of like, why does she keep saying barriers? Check out Best Friends Animal Society. Check out like American Pets Alive. They have so much awesome literature. We're really proud to be network partners of Best Friends. And there's just some awesome, you know, rescue pioneers out there publishing good data, good research on how we can effectively save more animals and put them in loving, responsible homes. So, well, I even imagine too, even like if the animal's in Texas and let's say somebody in California wants to adopt that pet, because Texas, I, I feel like there's such an overpopulation issue. I feel like that's almost a benefit because you're relocating the animal to another state where, you know, making a little bit more room for maybe animals in Texas. No, that's a great point. Absolutely. I hear that there are places up north, especially that don't have this huge overpopulation of animals. Isn't that wild? There's like a waiting list all up north where people are just sitting there waiting for an animal to come into the shelter. Meanwhile, here we are with dogs coming out of our ears. We met the kindest group at one of our events last weekend and they were visiting from Maryland, I think. I asked them had they visited a shelter, you know, at home before. They said, yeah, one of them is so overpopulated. There's like 200 pets there sometimes. And I said, well, just to give you some point of reference, the Fort Worth Animal Shelter has over 1,400 animals right now, way beyond capacity. And I know Dallas and I think Mesquite, I think, I don't know for anyone listening, they're, they're probably thinking of like 10 other cities in our area that are also over capacity. I don't know. I think I really believe, I know I'm a cheese ball. I just really think that if everybody does a little bit, we can make a huge difference. Things like fixing a hole in your fence or learning how to use a crate or understanding why heartworm prevention is important. Like one dog at a time, we can lessen that shelter population because what people, it seems like they get into medical situations that they can't afford. And I can't talk poorly of an owner that just can't afford a thousand dollar heartworm treatment. That's expensive. Or if they're not sure how to crate train their animal and they end up eating the wrong thing and they have a digestive blockage, it's so expensive. It can be up there in the thousands and thousands of dollars. So I think that people that aren't quote unquote in rescue and they don't see like tens or hundreds of cases, situations, they just don't think of all the worst case scenarios until they find themselves in a worst case scenario. And it feels like, unfortunately, their only option is to surrender their pet to a shelter. So that's my hope is that we could get the word out, especially with social media. Everyone's on it. Let's kind of share the knowledge. I love that too. If I can just take a moment to suck up to you. <laughs> no, I, like, I, yes, feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's what I think going back to what we started out talking about of being a good leader in your organization, explaining the why so that people see the reasoning behind the things so that they can reason for themselves in the future, I think is so important instead of being like, well, you have to have this fence and not really going into like, well, we've seen A, B, and C with other fences or, oh, when you give this sort of bone to a dog, we've seen these sorts of problems. Like without explaining that people are just like, there are all sorts of crazy rules and we don't know what's going on in the same way that you're training up your, your volunteers and really helping everyone grow in your organization. It's the same way with, with all your fosters, adopters, 
teaching the why so that they can come to their own conclusions and see for themselves, I think is just invaluable. Bridget, (laughs) good podcast co-host because you take this little idea that I sort of share with you and you make it sound. (laughs) I'm just too woo-woo, I think. (laughs) No, you're definitely not too woo-woo. You should apply to volunteer with us. Hadley's going to be like, eh. Careful, I've got some other rescues that I'm volunteering for that they're going to be like, leave her alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I don't blame them. I love what you're talking about, though, even when you're talking about your good good deed project. So, I mean, you want to help pets, but you want to do all these other things. And that's really what you're speaking to there as well is like helping people keep animals in their homes. Like, I know it's something that we've seen a need for, especially after the past two years. People suddenly are out of work for a, a month or more, and they're having to make these really drastic decisions that are forever decisions just because they had one hard month. And it's heartbreaking to think that, especially when we all know what brightens your day the most, it's probably your pet. So when you've already lost your job and everything else, that's the last thing you should be losing just because you can't afford whatever heartworm treatment or something. So I know it's something that we're all about, like pet pantry initiatives. And a lot of them actually we work with are in Texas. And we do know that there's a big need right now. I mean, just because I have the stats on the top of my head, because I've been talking about it a lot, one in six families is suffering through a rough economic time right now in Texas. It's really hard. So I love that you're really identifying that and working to keep animals out of shelters and out of even your care, just in their homes. Yep. That's kind of one of our next focuses is to see how can we grow our guest pet program and be a little more effective directly in the community. So exciting. I mean, honestly, I love that you are like just setting this great foundation to grow into like this monstrous oak. It is really exciting, especially when you see a lot of like patchworks organizations that are like, I don't know, I just saved a dog. And then suddenly next week I had 25 dogs and here I am in a rescue now. It is exciting and seems much less stressful than a lot of other uh, rescue organizations. You know, I have a heart for every single one of those rescue organizations. Gosh, you know, like a little dream of mine would be that maybe five, 10 years from now, I can meet with any new rescue organization that that did just save one dog. And they're like, what the heck? How did I end up with 25? What am I doing? This is stressful. I would love to be able to meet with them and say, hey, here's some things that have worked for us. Let me help you help animals. So you're not so stressed out all the time. So you're not spread thin. So you're not doing it all by yourself. Because I can't say enough good things about having an incredible team. That's the only reason I'm still a part of Animal Rescue is because all of the people that make up Happy Pet are just the bomb. So amazing. Well, so this has been really great. And we're definitely going to have you on the podcast after your full year is completed because we want to hear how it went, the ups and downs. We want to hear like the behind the scenes, everything. (laughs) In the meantime, we got to ask you some fun questions. First question, funniest pet name you've ever heard? Bah, that's hard. Um, Funniest pet name I've ever heard. Are you kidding me? Our most recent intake at Happy Pet, her name is Wannabe. And I'm like, (laughs) mean? Or were they Spice Girl fans? So I don't know if that's funny or just sort of strange. We have a noodle and I love that name. 
I think it's amazing, but I know there's so many others. Our first foster with the happy pet project. I hope my fiance doesn't listen to this. I let him name him Justin Timberleash. And then we got more compliments on that dog's name than any other dog name probably ever. I'm like, oh Lord. This okay. Gonna- that's, oh, that's hilarious good. though. <laughs> Cause you hear a lot of puns, but you, I have not heard that one before. I think that's a first. No, I never let him listen to the cuddly project. <laughs> Plus, were you just calling the dog Justin? So we called him JT and my 18 month old still calls every dog. Now JT got adopted two or three months ago. She calls anything with fur JT. Never word. I swear I'm not making this up. And we have a bunch of squirrels in our yard. So when they're like all running around, she'll look out the window and cheer JT, JT. I hope Justin Timberlake's listening to this. not correcting her. Like this is the best thing ever. Oh my God. Oh, that's so cute. In your entire life, naughtiest thing an animal has ever done. Mm, man. My first foster ever broke my big toe. My <laughs> friend's wedding. <laughs> that's a long story. Did you have to get like a toe cast? So I worked as a flight attendant then. And you're not allowed to work with a broken toe because you're in a cast. So then you can't like have your, you can't be out on leave and fly. So that's how I missed the wedding. But then I also had a foster who could escape a gorilla crate. And I won't get into that. If you know what a gorilla crate is, you know what a gorilla crate is. They're like $300. And I mean, that was kind of amazing. I don't know. You know, I've lost tons of baseboards and blinds and things like that to foster dogs that know how to get out of the crate. So. I feel like nothing can really phase me at this point, but knock on wood. Yeah. Now you're asking for it. Yeah. You're going to get like online bullied by one of your, (laughs) by one of your animals or something. All those squirrels are going to come for you. They're like, we're actually Backstreet Boys fans. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Oh, okay. So last question we always ask. Is there one quote or mantra or saying that you kind of say to yourself over and over while you're doing this work? I don't know if I have one that I say to myself over and over. There is a Nelson Mandela quote on our website that I like. Nelson Mandela said, we can change the world and make it a better place. It is in your hands to make a difference. So I just think when I get stressed out over petty things in life or like, oh my God, I have a job and a family. I mean, right. We all experience stress on some level. I just think it's important to remember that thousands of people have made huge, long lasting impacts over time. And so I don't ever want to give into the small moments of stress and kind of cave to that. So that's what keeps me going, I guess. That is a difficult question. No, I love that. It's so true. It's just a moment of stress and it's always going to pass. And you don't want to have made a choice out of that moment that is going to be like, oh, I wish I hadn't. And, you know, I'm sure that you've seen the horrible, horrible news come out of Uvalde Uh, a couple of days ago. I've seen a lot of people sharing this sentiment online, like don't believe the lie that what you do doesn't matter. And I think like with social media and 
the global population just exploding every day that sometimes it makes people feel small or inconsequential. And we're all on like sensory overload with so much sad news all over the world. So that sentiment sort of is what that Mandela quote speaks to me, right? Like it is literally in our hands to treat our friends better, to raise our babies better, to just love one another. And it goes back to we can't save animals if we don't take care of each other first. So amazing. Mallory, this has been so great. So excited to connect with you. And I'm so excited for the amazing things that you're going to do in this year. Thank you so much, Bridget and Sydney. I appreciate you so much for having me on. And the next time we join y'all, we'll definitely have some more of our team members. We'll all get on and chat and kind of let you know what we've been up to. Progress report. It was so exciting to speak to Mallory once again. We are such a fan of her ethos that really identifies the joy in rescue and volunteering. And we're so excited to see how they grow. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Happy Pet Project, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.